It's the middle of April, and I'm looking at an app on my phone, the weather app, which forecasts the weather. There is even one page which tells you a forecast for the next two weeks. No rain. No rain in April. We haven't had rain for weeks. I live in the south of Spain, in Seville, and we're really suffering from the effects of a serious drought. And no rain for the rest of April. In May, it doesn't rain very much at all. We can't expect much rain. Then the summer begins, and the summer in the south of Spain is very, very hot, with no rainy days at all, usually. So we're quite worried here, in the south of Spain. I've written a story which is called The Great Dying. The Great Dying actually refers to a time in the past, millions of years ago, when a huge number of plants and animals died because of the rise in temperatures of the earth. Not caused by man, of course. Man was not around. We face a similar situation these days. So I've written a story about that. I brought out some relevant language for you about the weather and climate change. And this language is for B1 students especially, with lots of B1 language in there for you. So here we go. Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels. And if you are a B1 level student trying to reach B2 level, then I recommend my book, The Tudor Conspiracy. Come over to practicingenglish.com and you'll see a picture of the front cover. Click on that and it will take you to the page where you can buy the book. So... First of all, we have weather words. I suppose weather we can separate from climate because weather is about day-to-day -day changes. You know, sunny days, rainy days, cold days, hot days. In the story, you get words like a gentle breeze, which is a soft wind, nice on a summer's day, and a cool wind which is similar to a gentle breeze. Blue skies. Usually we like blue skies, don't we? But when they're always blue, it can be a problem. We prefer clouds, cloudy days, and less sunshine. And then you have extreme weather like storms, lightning, which is the electrical light that you see in the sky and thunder, which is the noise caused when the lightning strikes. Lightning strikes. Past tense, struck. 
struck by lightning. So when we're talking about climate change, we talk about things which are more serious, more permanent. Floods, where water covers the land. Flooded fields. Or the opposite, drought, D-R-O-U-G-H-T, where there is no water on the land. The land is dry and things will not grow. Plants won't grow and animals suffer. What causes global warming? Well, the use of fossil fuels. Fossil fuels. Such as oil, which we bring up from under the ground and convert to petrol, for example, which we put directly into our cars. Or the use of gas, which we also bring up from the ground and we use it to heat our homes, and coal as well, which is used as a source of energy. Coal, that black rock. And to solve the problem, well, what I've mentioned in the story are the solutions like wind power and solar power. Wind power, of course, is the energy produced by wind blowing on these huge uh, wind turbines which produce electricity or solar power which is produced by the sun shining onto solar panels which then produces electricity. Okay, so here is the story. Listen out for those words that I've mentioned and enjoy the story. Here we go. The Great Dying by M.A. Bilbra. This is for B1 students. This recording is copyright. Bournemouth, England, 2053. The word breeze is a word of the past. That gentle, cool wind we used to get on summer days exists no longer. Hot winds are what we have now, winds that are dry and burn your eyes. What about blue skies? No, we don't have those anymore either. If you look up, protecting your eyes from the wind with your hand, you'll see the sky is a red colour. So the word sunshine is a word of the past too. I mean, you can't see the sun, can you? Just this bright red nothing. In the evenings, the sky turns brown, and at night it's a hot black blanket without stars. And this is Bournemouth, a seaside town. Actually, I shouldn't really say Bournemouth because the town is useless now. Its streets lie under the water, so nobody can live there. The sea has risen by about a metre, which means that if you want to see the sights, you'll have to take a boat. 
You know, like a visit to Venice. Except that Venice completely disappeared under the waves several years ago. Most people from Bournemouth live on higher ground around the town. Those people, unlucky enough not to own a dry house, have moved away. Some probably died. You see, climate change meant that the prices of houses rose so much that people can't afford one. A house is essential these days because you need to protect yourself from the weather. On most days, there are electrical storms. Thunder shakes the red clouds with noise. But no rain falls. Not anymore. Lightning is frequent. So if you are outside, you may be struck and killed. That is why you need a house. And what happened to the seasons? Spring, summer, autumn and winter? They don't really exist now. Every day is more or less the same. Hot, dusty winds and electrical storms. Food and water are the biggest problems, of course. The countryside around Bournemouth is as dry as a bone, without any plant or animal life. The ground is just dust, which is lifted up by the wind, high into the sky, turning it red. This means food is brought into most parts of southern Britain from the north, Scotland, Norway and Sweden, where the climate is still cool enough to support life. Most food is delivered in tins. There is little fresh food. Water must come in bottles for drinking. There is water for washing and having a shower from the tap. It comes from the north by pipes. But it's too dirty to drink. So why don't people just leave and go north? That would be nice. Nobody wants to stay in Bournemouth anymore, or anywhere else in southern Britain. But moving north is forbidden and controlled. The population is so dense in Scotland, for example, there is no room left for more people. No, there is no escape. Or is there? It was Sunday morning, and Raphael Booker floated slowly down to the ground, just outside his sister's house, close to the flooded town of Bournemouth. Floating from the mothership down to the ground, without the use of any flying vehicle, was the usual way for Raphael to visit Earth. The strong hot wind and dust in the air wasn't a problem for Raphael. Raphael's sister, Stella, was married to her husband, Dave, and they had three children, all of them still living at home. When Stella heard the doorbell ring on that Sunday morning, 
she was surprised that somebody was visiting on a day like this. The wind was blowing hard outside, so it meant opening the door and letting the dust and sand into the house. Most people didn't visit for that reason. Stella opened the door just a little and looked out. She recognized her brother on the doorstep. What was he doing there? She opened the door quickly and pulled him in by the arm. Rafa, she said, amazed. How did you get here? The three children, who were all teenagers, came downstairs to see who the visitor was. Then Dave appeared from the kitchen. When he saw his brother-in-law, he wasn't very polite. What do you want? he said in a rude voice. Dave disliked Raphael because he was the laziest person he knew. He had failed all his exams at university and then afterwards had always been unemployed. And he was now 42. Dave thought there was no excuse for not having a job. After all, Raphael was lucky enough to live in Scotland which was not yet suffering from the terrible effects of climate change. There was plenty of work there. Stella turned to her husband. Don't be like that, Dave. Please, she said. Raphael is my brother. Let's hear what he has to say. She turned back to her brother, who was standing calmly by the door. Raphael, what's the matter? Why are you here? You know, we can't help you with money. We're having a terrible time here. Things are getting worse here. Life is terrible. Why have you come? Stella realised she was asking too many questions while her brother hadn't even said a word. Raphael spoke softly and he smiled. I've come to help you, he said. Yeah, yeah, interrupted Dave. You? That's really funny. How can you help us? You haven't got a penny. Dave, please, shouted Stella. Let him speak. Raphael continued. I'm here to rescue you. I'm a messenger for the aliens. They are going to... What are you talking about? Aliens? said Dave, extremely annoyed. You're mad. You've been smoking something again. That's what you've been doing. You must listen to me, Dave, said Raphael firmly. Dave was amazed at the strength and power of his brother-in-law's voice. Raphael had always been a weak person before with very little self-confidence. Suddenly, he seemed somebody totally different. Dave didn't believe a word he was saying, but he let Raphael continue. Raphael put his hands behind his back, stood still, and looked at each member of his audience in the eye, and began his story. I know you'll find this hard to believe, 
but I'm not the person you think I am. You have always known me to be lazy, never in work, always unemployed, always without a direction in life. Well, it's true I have rarely had work in the sense you understand work. However, as you will hear now, I have been involved in one of the most important professions in history. It all started when I was at university. As you may remember, I was studying geology. One day, the professor and a group of students, including myself, went on a trip to some caves in Wales to carry out some research we went down deep under the ground, looking for different minerals. And I got lost, and I was separated from the group. After walking about for ages, trying to find my way out of the caves, I suddenly found myself in a huge cave, deep under the mountain. There I discovered something extraordinary. There was an enormous building in the cave, People lived there. In fact, it was like a small city. Lights, roads, machines, and crowds of people carrying out some sort of work. Then some of them surrounded me and said I must go with them to meet their leader. I had no choice except to follow them, as there were many of them and they refused to let me go. They took me to a large and beautifully decorated room. Their leader was an elegant, middle-aged woman with glasses. She explained to me that it was not by chance I had arrived there. I had been chosen among millions of others. She told me that although they looked very much like we humans, they were from another type of humanoid group that existed on Earth millions of years ago. They had evolved and built a great civilization in what today is Africa. They call themselves Gazondans. Unfortunately, they too, like us, first used fossil fuels to provide power for their machines, to heat their homes, and to bring light to their streets. Very soon the greenhouse gases increased, and the climate became so warm, most animal life and plant life died. Life on Earth became impossible. Fortunately, they had the technology to build spaceships, they left Earth in thousands of ships to search for another planet where they could continue to live. After many years of searching, the Gazondans found a planet similar to Earth, the other side of our galaxy, where they started a new civilization. This time they changed the way they produced power and used wind and solar power instead. From a recent space expedition, 
the Gazondan people discovered that another humanoid group now lived on Earth and had made the same mistakes they had by using too many fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas to provide power for our civilization. Unfortunately, they arrived too late to warn us from the danger and save the Earth. However, the Gazondan people developed a plan to rescue members of the human race who are suffering most, such as yourselves. They want to take you to their planet on the other side of the galaxy and give you a new home. They will also help those who live in the northern countries to change the effects of global warming and slowly change our planet Earth's climate to the same as it used to be. But that will take at least 200 years. Of course, the human population on planet Gazonda would, after 200 years, be brought back to Earth if that is what they wanted. Raphael stopped speaking, and there was a long silence. Wow! said Stella at last. What a story! So, what has your part been in all this, Rafa? I have been advising the Gazondan people about how we humans live, and what sort of home you will need on planet Gazonda. It's politics, economics, and social life. It has been my life's work. I have had no time for anything else. We are planning to transport millions, perhaps billions of people, to their new home on planet Gazonda. It has also been a great secret until now. The greatest secret in the history of the world. That is why I could never speak of this before. Dave was obviously not convinced. It was a good story, Raphael, but I'm afraid I don't believe a word of it. I mean, what are you doing here now? Don't tell me you've come to take us to a Gazondan spaceship. Dave laughed. <laughs> However, Raphael looked very serious. You are exactly right, Dave, he said quietly. Raphael put his hand in his jacket pocket, and took out what looked like a square piece of glass, about five centimetres square. He went down on his knees and put the piece of glass carefully on the carpet. Then Raphael stood up. Watch, he said. Everybody in the room watched. The piece of glass slowly grew in size, and, as it did, something began to happen inside it. First of all, it was just a very dark blue. Then tiny lights appeared, which looked like stars, and in the centre of the piece of glass, now nearly two metres in size, everybody could see the shape of a magnificent spaceship. It stood there, 
in space, huge, an object of light and beauty, waiting, waiting. Raphael looked up. He saw the faces in front of him, mouths open, amazed, and now he knew they believed. Go and pack your suitcases, Raphael said. It's time to leave. Who's got ticket? 142, said the elegant, middle-aged woman with glasses behind the desk. There were about 50 people in the room, all sitting down on uncomfortable wooden chairs, looking towards the desks. Nobody answered. Who's got ticket 142? The elegant woman repeated more loudly this time. A man suddenly stood up and went quickly to the desk. Sorry, it was me, said the man. I didn't see the number on the screen. Good morning, Raphael, said the elegant woman. Dreaming again, were you? Raphael didn't answer. Right, same old questions, Mr Booker. Have you done any work, paid or not paid, in the last 30 days? No, I haven't, Raphael replied. Next question. Have you been available for full-time employment during the last 30 days? Yes, I have, said Raphael. Right, give me your form, please, said the elegant woman. Raphael gave her the form he had filled in earlier. Mr. Booker, what year are we in? Uh, 2023, said Raphael. Correct, said the elegant woman. So why have you written 2053 on the form? I'm sorry, but you'll have to fill in another one. To receive unemployment money, the form must be filled in correctly. When Raphael left the unemployment office, he looked up at the blue Bournemouth sky and breathed in the fresh sea air. Looking carefully, he could just see where the sea met the sky, the red colour that everybody was talking about. It was the end of April, but there had been no rain all month. Dust was rising causing the red colour. It was nothing to worry about, though, everybody said. Rain was on its way. The drought would be over soon. And that's the end of the story. I hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye for now.